Good morning if you're in the UK or EU and good evening if you're somewhere in Asia and thanks for joining us on The Convergence this week. The 5 to Midnight podcast series where we talk all, to all manner of interesting people from the arts, culture, uh, wellness sectors and beyond about how we can make the world a better place. And our guest today is Aidan Condren, an actor, director and trainer joining us from Barcelona. Aidan has been a professional arts practitioner for over 30 years. He's trained at the Work Centre of Jerzy Grotowski and Thomas Richards and the National Michael Chekhov Association, among others. He's a certified yoga and meditation instructor, which he got in India, qualified in anatomy, physiology and holistic therapies, which all play a part in his practice of training and preparing actors. He is now more permanently based as a lecturer of acting at the Institute of the Arts Barcelona, having travelled to Spain, Italy, Poland and Japan, giving workshops and talks to actors and performers from east to west. And from 2002 to 2012, Aidan was the founding artistic director of Nervous System, a Dublin-based international performance laboratory spending a decade pursuing a deep investigative process into the acting craft and innovative arts practices. He's also an associate editor on the Rutledge International Journal of Theatre, Dance and Performance Training. His most recent venture is the Living Acting Studio, providing world-class training for actors and non-actors alike cultivating an individual's artistic autonomy and ultimately becoming self-sustaining in our volatile 21st century. But, well, most of all, I know him as a friend, as a father, not to me, uh, an artist and a well-balanced provider of food for thought. We'll be talking about the broad topic of actor training today. Grateful as ever to have you here. What's up, Aiden? Hey! <laughs> nice to see you. Nice to be here. Yeah, thanks. Wow, that's man. that's quite an intro. It's it's always quite a thing. It's always quite a thing when you hear uh, your 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 life kind of being um, played played back to. And um, just one thing I should clarify in yeah. terms of my own training. You mentioned the work center of Jersey Trust and Thomas Richards. I have indeed had a short experience of of training with the work center, but that it was that's I would not. I think it would be uh, inaccurate to say that that's my main training. Mm. Um, my main training really was in the Conservatory of Music and Drama in Dublin. Uh, at the time, there was a higher diploma, which was the equivalent of a degree then. Mm. And then I, my, in terms of formal training, uh, after that, I would uh, I undertook an MA, a master's degree in acting training and coaching at Royal Central. So in terms of the formal training, that's that's the kind of the part that, that that's the, the institutional training I've had but I have indeed um, trained with the work center uh, for a short term as, as part of a kind of a two-week intensive as part of one of their selection sessions and I have done in many many intensive trainings with uh, the Michael Czech Association uh, National Michael Czech Association among many many other practitioners which I continue mm -hmm. to do I'm always kind of refreshing my practice but just to kind of clarify that the my formal training was really with Central and the Conservatory of Music and Drama I think that there's a this uh, it's a really, really great sort of like jumping off point because we have a clear distinction sort of between formal training and I suppose the opposite that would be informal training, uh, whatever mm. that is. Um, and coming from a lecturer in an institution, uh, what do you feel is the difference between uh, a formal training and an informal training, and what does that mean to you? I mean, besides having a, a professional sort of paper qualification. Yeah, it's a good question. Um, well, I guess a formal training is institutional in that it is it is created by an institution. It is designed towards specific learning outcomes. 
usually preparing individuals for a uh, an established um, industry or profession um, and with it of course comes qualification uh, uh, and I guess it's also one would hope that if it's institutional and if it's over if it's if there's some kind of a qualification or degree at the end of it one would assume that it is um, vocational structured it's over an extended period of time it's usually you know if it's an undergraduate degree it's three years if it's a postgraduate it's one year so I guess it's a more a structured, protracted um, on uh, training in a formal setting. Workshop trainings, however, offer something quite different. Um, it's a, an opportunity, whether it's a one-day workshop or a week-long workshop or a two- or three-month residency, as, I, as I've often done, then that is a different experience again because you are in a short, intensive, immersive environment where you are exposing yourself to one to a particular practice or a particular methodology uh, for an intensive short period of time. Usually there, it's, you're not doing it for a qualification. You're usually, you're usually engaging in that kind of a training to uh, develop skills and experience or understanding in a particular approach. Mm. Um, but I guess that's the, and, and then it's interesting. Um, I think workshop trainings are very very valuable if you have a an institution formal institutional training behind you because what they because really as i as certainly as i see it there's only so much that a drama school can provide even in three years um first of all you're 18 when you go in you're 21 usually when you leave or 22 mm -hmm. roughly so and I think it's important to remember that for anyone thinking of drama school or whatever, is that it's very rigorous, it's very comprehensive, and it's a very systematic training, but it is really can only ever form the foundations of a lifelong learning, um, which go, I, I think, and certainly this was made clear to us when we were in drama school, that our training would continue well and beyond drama school, and that we would always be... Um, that acting is a lifelong training. Mm -hmm. So I think workshop training with that behind you is very, very useful because it, it, the, your conservatory training gives you a very, very solid foundation from which to kind of delve into and explore more deeply other approaches uh, to enhance or to, to expand your own, your own skill set. Um, but do workshop trainings, are they, can they be standalone trainings in the sense that does it give you a comprehensive training as an actor um, in its own right? That's a tricky question. Yeah. It depends on what training you're doing. It depends on, depends on how regularly you're engaging with it. Um, uh, but there are wonderful, wonderful workshop trainings for sure that I would, that, that certainly I would encourage my own students when they graduate. You know, I always encourage my, my, our graduating students to keep doing workshops and to keep the instrument, keep, you know, keep the practice going and to explore other forms um, and other approaches. Um, I think it's very useful. Um, uh, but I think I would caution people that are, you know, paying large sums of money to do maybe, you know, short one or two month trainings that perhaps sometimes can pre can present themselves as complete trainings. And I think that's one has to be careful with that because I think it's very difficult to offer a complete training in, in those kind of short periods of time. What, what, do, you, what do you mean by a complete training? In, in just so I get the vocabulary clear. Well, I think a complete training takes time. Mm. 
it needs a it needs an extended period of time. You're developing skills, physical and vocal skills that require repetition. Um, you're exploring techniques that require uh, engagement and re-engagement and, and, and application over an extended period of time. Uh, I think time is the real factor, to be honest. Um, uh, so that's and, and also they're designed. I mean, conservatoire training, certainly UK and I guess Western um, drama school training is designed to offer a comp what they perceive to be a comprehensive training in that it covers all bases. And the, the idea being that essentially industry wise, um, you're good to go by the end of three years. Mm. Right. So does it then, is it then fair to say that when we talk about a complete training, um, it is mm. in relation to sort of the industry that is in play uh, that this person, right, whether they're, whether they're a student, whether they're mid-career changing, whatever, um, is in a sense primed and ready to, you know, jump in, you know, full on and be able to uh, make a living in a way. Well, no training will guarantee that you make, li make a living. Um, but yes, I mean, if you go back, I mean, if we take, for example, the heritage of the UK Conservatoire, which really goes back to kind of the 1930s and 40s, um, to interestingly, and a European, a Frenchman, uh, uh, Michel Saint-Denis, uh, which whose roots go back as the nephew of Coppo, he was, and he was, he was really one of the first that introduced the notion of a comprehensive, uh, modular, structured, two, three slash three year actor training mm. into in into the, the West really because he he was responsible. Uh, for the National Theatre Studio back in the 30s uh, and then with the uh, the old Vic company in the 40s he was the first to really design and if you read his his his, his research and his literature the literature there's a lot of literature on Sandini you'll see that he spent a lot of time thinking about the vocational formative training of, of, of the actor was it for the industry well it was because it was connected to um, uh, an in-house um, repertory company. So yes, he was thinking of training uh, as providing the necessary skills and techniques and everything else that he deemed to be necessary in order to function as a professional um, actor within the performing arts industry. Yeah, so I guess it was uh, industry focused. Yeah, because the industry has evolved, right? So at least mm -hmm. now, at least in the in sort of the circles that you know I that I work in, particularly in different <coughs> countries, um, mm. and I think this is also for for the UK as well. It, granted, it's mediated a bit by sort of like the agent um, middle management level of things, um, mm. but it is very much a freelance industry now, and we very rarely see uh, a repertory company, um, at least you know in in my part of the world, you know mm. repertory companies are uh, few and far between, uh, and I. Yeah. I think something that has sort of like spurred me on to start uh, Five to Midnight um, as a practitioner is I was always enamored with this dream of, uh, of a repertory company that would train uh, in a particular methodology um, that had yeah. an ethos and a, and a group of people that believed in something um, and were willing yeah. to transmute that into a physical practice which would create uh, a very particular style of work. Um, and so... In, in my sort of like broader sense of, of understanding the arts practice, um, mm. the, uh, the repertory company serves as kind of like a node 
for a, a particular point of view on the world mm. on society on politics whatever you want to, to talk about and whatever the company wants to talk about that um, an audience can enter right and and experience and understand um, mm. and having said that I, I kind of you know being uh, also you know an alumni of, of Royal Central School of Speech and Drama uh, I, I sort of always felt that the institutionalized training or, or formal training as we call it nowadays right is um, in a sense doesn't really serve this sort of like uh, one size fits all it, it's well it serves too much of a one size fits all kind of idea um, which I wonder if it in the, in the end sort of like harms the diversity of the practice and the work that could come out of that Oh, it's a big question. There you go. <laughs> uh, and, and it's a very, very topical issue at the moment. I don't know if you're aware of what's happening in the, certainly in the UK and the American um, conservative or drama, uh, actor training, theatre training, uh, higher education world at the moment, which is there are, there are some controversies relating to diversity, um, Black Lives Matter, mm-hmm. which has really shaken up a lot of the major drama schools in the UK and uh, America at the moment. Um, it's a tricky one. Uh, certainly, I don't think Michel Saint-Denis, when he was designing the kind of the, the prototypes for these kind of trainings, was thinking about these things. Um, the industry has changed for sure. The idea, I mean, and he, these, the, this idea of training was created at a time when the repertory system was kind of the norm. And what you would do, what, what, what um, student destinations were, was that you would hopefully go into a, a repertory company you'd cut your teeth you'd learn your trade on the job with that training behind you and you would kind of work your way up whether it be the royal shakespeare company or any other yeah repertory company and then you might you know branch out into television and maybe into film or whatever and that was kind of the the career path that those drama schools were gearing you towards now of course that's all changing um for lots of reasons um it's to do with funding streams it's to do with the way we look at um, theatre companies, the way companies are funded, etc., etc. So there, the idea of the repertory company is, you know, it's almost gone, really. Yeah. And we are now into more into independent companies, um, and then you have, you know, the larger the larger houses in the West End, for example, in London, and that's that's kind of it. But the idea of a repertory company nowadays is is is, is a luxury. And yet those trainings, going all the way back to Stanislavski, I mean, those, you know, the idea of actor training was very much connected to the idea of what you've just described, is that there would be an aesthetic and ideology and a training underpinning um, a repertoire of work that would be presented. Yeah. Um, and that that would be a company that act- you said that actors would be, a mem- would be members of an ensemble and they would work for the same repertory company for an extended period of time. Sadly, those days, I, you know, I look back, I look at, I mean, I, you know, when I started out training, that was already dying. So mm. that to me is just, just a romantic ideal. It's like, wow, that must have been amazing, you know, just to be able to go in and, you know, have your, in, you know, do, you know, two, you know, rehearse one show while you're performing one show in the evening mm-hmm. and, you know, three weeks, three weeks, and then you're onto another show and you're onto another, and you just, and like for an actor, that's a dream. You're just acting yes. all the time. You're working all the time. It's like, wait, hey. Um, but unfortunately, you know, um, I think I forgot the question actually. But <laughs> <laughs> does it does it harm the diversity of the work that uh, that? Does it harm the ah yeah? Does it harm the diversity? Well, yeah. Sorry. So getting back, yeah. Sorry, I went off piece there. Getting back to that. Um, well, that's what the debate is about at the moment. 
Um, I don't know if you're aware of what's going on, for example, in Lambda, the uh, London Academy of Dramatic Art. There's mm. a huge shakeup going on there, where the the well-established and respected kind of model of classical actor training is now being shaken up and being challenged um, under new management. That is that see that that seems to be suggesting that that tra that that training is no longer relevant to the world we live in. And that it's exclusive, and that it's you know non-inclusive, and that it is it produces a certain kind. It's it's geared towards a certain kind of training for a certain kind of actor for a certain kind of industry that perhaps doesn't and it's, and audience. Thank you. That perhaps doesn't exist anymore, or perhaps is not doesn't represent. Yes. Um, there are big problems with this because some of that is true. Mm. Um, and I think, I think drama schools do need to reevaluate uh, what training is, what acting training is, what 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 they mean by the industry, digital media, um, you know, um, collaborative and devised work, people, you know, the creative actor, all of these kind of things need to be factored in. I mean, back in the old days, in the seventies, it was like the, the British drama schools were going, "Well, God, we better teach them a bit of telly and a bit of uh, film, and you know, because we don't do that. We all do, you know." And, they, and that was the, that was the cool thing to do was to introduce a little bit of TV acting and a little bit of film acting training, and that was like considered to be very innovative and very forward, very progressive. But now we're into all kinds of digital media. We're into uh, all kinds of diverse opportunities for actors, um, online platforms post-traumatic theatre, you know, interdisciplinary work. Yeah, so it's it's a whole, the, the, theater, augmented. Yeah, the, 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 field, the field is widening. And I think having, you know, having now worked pretty much equally over the last eight to ten years or so in conservatoires and universities, what I see is that the, the idea of acting needs to expand into the into the, the area of performance that we cannot just think of acting um we need to how do i phrase this i think we need to expand our notion of acting as having in parenthesis performance yeah because there's so much inter interdisciplinary influence and work going on that i think is it's foolish for acting training to ignore that mm -hmm. um Having said all of that, I think the idea of bringing in artistic directors of theatre companies to run drama schools is potentially problematic, um, who don't really have a background in acting training and don't, you know, don't, don't understand, perhaps, maybe not fair enough to say, don't understand, but are not equipped or do not have experience in the systematic vocational training of actors and understanding what that is. And I think to throw that out without really understanding what it is is problematic, and I think this is, you know we are in a da dangerous situation in the UK at the moment of throwing out the baby with the bathwater. Yeah. Because whatever you might feel about that training, a lot of it was extremely rigorous, extremely well thought through, and uh, very comprehensive, very full, um, and a lot of great, great teachers and, and pedagogues st uh, have been operating in that modus of training for many, many years and offering. Ex extraordinary knowledge and skills to their students and I think to throw all that away I think is, is foolhardy um, but certainly to reevaluate what acting is to adjust and adapt um, conservatoire training to meet the needs of, of contemporary performance practice I think is, is really important and to address the issues of, of the quality and diversity.
for sure that needs to be looked at i think this is to to sort of like leap off the initial sort of provocation of this question where the where the where we talk about <clears> the <throat> idea of the industry having you know having a sort of concretized form um, and mm. in a certain way sort of having been calcified into uh, a certain set of behaviours and norms which student actors are then sort of like uh, told to expect and be able to um, navigate themselves through. You know, we're always told like uh, mm. in, in, in drama school nowadays, you know, it's like, okay, we're going to do this and you have to do things this way because that's how the industry will treat you. Um, like, I think I w- in one of our earlier conversations, uh, we, we, we talked about you, oh, you you mentioned this idea and correct me if I'm wrong but you said that when you when you make the choice to be an actor you are the industry is that correct yes I, right. well yes I mean the industry exists within the artist yeah I, I, I do believe that yeah I think so, the industry yeah absolutely so having said that um, if the if in the sense the industry is in itself contained within the, the performer the artist then what are we training for? Why do we train? Well, this, I mean, I have to respond to that with two hats. And for, uh, with my institutional hat on, I can tell you formally what we're training or what, or what we, what the offer is to prospective students and what we, you know, what we, what we tell them that we're training. So there's that, but then there's the other part of me, which is, has worked in other fields and worked uh, independently and, um, uh, like with Living Acting Studio, with Nervous System, which is a different answer to the question. But the first answer is pretty standard. You go to any conservatoire, any university website, any uh, you you know you'll get you you'll see what they're offering. Um, what are we training for? Well, we're training you know um, to uh, young prospective students to become contemporary professional actors who are. Uh, employable within the live and recorded arts mm-hmm. and to have sustainable careers within the live and recorded arts whether it be you know text-based dramatic post-dramatic non-text-based digital environments etc radio television etc so that's really what we're, we're offering i mean that's and that's pretty much what mm-hmm. um acting mm-hmm. training uh, institutions mm-hmm. have been mm-hmm. billing as their offer mm-hmm for quite some time so so that's what so what are we training for that's what we're training for the 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 performing arts industry slash entertainment industry Mm. and those who aspire to work as actors in that in that in that field um so that's the institutional answer yes um but then there's a whole other and this is kind of, I guess, segues into our whole theme of well-being and personal development and all of that. I think there is a whole other aspect of acting training um, that offers a whole series of um, tools for personal development and equips you with transferable skills that are just great life training. Mm. Um, you know, it's artist training. Um and that's a whole other conversation and that's a whole other response for me um what are we training for well the study for me it's 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 the study and practice of living through the art of acting yeah that's what i mean that's the simple answer Mm -hmm. answer 
uh, and so, so with uh, Living Acting Studio, that's really the remit of Living Acting Studio. Living Acting Studio is not as 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 was uh, with Nervous System when I when I was running Nervous System. The agenda really was looking at acting, art, and craft as a process of uh, work on oneself yeah. uh, and artistic development. Where that led you, where the what the industry was, or where that was going to take you, was really up for grabs mm-hmm. um, but there was no perceived idea of where that was going to where that was going to take you um, so that so I guess when we talk about industry really that's perhaps the true meaning of the word industry is really goes back to being industrious is, is, is drawing on your own resources to create something that people want or need mm-hmm. you know um, but the idea, and I, with nervous system, the kind of the, the seed of nervous system or the impetus for the creation of nervous system was that I always felt that there was a kind of a cart before the horse situation going on. I never understood it. Why acting, training and development and theater making was shaped by some preconceived idea of the industry and that you worked back from that and then you made your work for that. I, that never made sense to me. me for me, it was like, well... But, you know, but I, I guess you could say this about any art form. I mean, you know, a musician makes music because they want to and need to make music and they want to make as much and as the best music that they can. And then then they find an audience for that. Yeah. And there will be. Um, I think the, the sense yeah. that the, the audience is inevitable um, yeah. has always sort of like kept me going um, as a practitioner. Yeah you know, in my 20s, like all through my 20s, uh, almost 30 now. Yeah. So that sense that like, uh, I, I think I, I said this, I said this uh, to our mutual friend, uh, Gabin, um, that I nowadays, especially particularly having worked um, and built this company over the past four years, I no longer feel beholden to the expectation of uh, an audience size as a measure of success, you know. Mm. Um, for me, it's always a, it's always a process and, and I've, recently had a, a, some real time to be um, a little bit more reflective in terms of the kinds of people that have come to, to watch the work. Um, and the thing that I found most fulfilling and gratifying as a practitioner is this sense that I could have done, you know, I did a small show, tiny show for like, you know, 12 people uh, uh, in a community space in, in Japan. That was, I think, the second time that I was there in Tokyo. Um, and it was like two years later that, you know, an audience member uh, had, who was I think uh, I believe a dancer or an actress in her own right, and was wanting to be one was attending one of our workshops. Um, and she said, "Oh my God, I remember I, I remember seeing that show and it was amazing. And you know, uh, we could go and have a, a a dinner and a chat afterwards. And to me, like that is, um, a real living sort of embodiment of, uh, the kind of work that I want to make, where um, some where it really sticks in in your in your memory. And I find that, you know, I attribute that largely to the actors um, who were so vital in being able to transmit that um, experience to somebody and make an impact. Uh, for me, the art form is not necessarily the performance itself um, as much as it is the connection that is born from the shared experience of the, of the, the theatre itself. Yeah. And yeah. that's really been a driving, driving force. Um, mm. To come back to the topic of training, though, I do feel like I really, really echo this statement that, you know, it's really about how do we train somebody to um, 
to really kind of uh, what's the word that I'm looking for um, and to, to enjoy to um, be able to uh, to enjoy the act of being alive yep you know uh, and I think that in the 21st century environment we are pummeled with a lot of uh, stimuli about the way that we need to think about something uh, wow. you know there's you're talking about preconceived notions of an industry I think that yeah that's is, is uh, a good example of that but also how we are supposed to think how we're supposed to manage our emotions how we're supposed to live our life yeah. um, yeah. which detracts the the actor from what is actually happening inside your body inside your mind yeah. you know uh, and I really echo living living acting studios no, I, yeah <clears throat> totally. I mean, it's a question. I guess it's a question of the entry point. I mean, if you look at Stanislavski, I mean, we, you know, we hear it. We we always think about Stanislavski as you know the, all the different studios and the in the Moscow Art Theater and all the training and all the, you know thirty five years of research about the lab. But we we forget that you know Stanislavski was a businessman. He was running. He was running a, a, one of a major major theater house with Danchenko, his 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 colleague, and you know they had terrible fights and yada yada yada. And they were two men running a business. I mean, it was a it was an operation, and he was a very astute and very shrewd um, manager. Uh, and parallel to that, he was. Doing all, all this extraordinary research into into acting technique and acting training, but interestingly, so he was very much addressing. You know, it's very easy to romanticize Stanislavski and say, "Oh, you know, there was just a bunch of guys in a room just trying to work it all out." Well, <laughs> they were, but they were also, you know, having to pay the bills and you know, get bums on the seats and and keep the reputation of the institution very reputable institution that they were running, keeping all of that going. But what's interesting about that is that if, so you've got two things running parallel. You've got the the, the the sheer brass tacks of just keeping a theater house running, and a theater and a repertory company alive and uh, funded, etc. But then you've also at the same time running parallel to that, you've got this whole work on oneself going on yeah. inside the studios, which is all to do with you know. Um, addressing the self addressing who you are and um you know um de deconditioning your habitual behaviors and concentration and attention and relaxation and all of these things you know you know so so there's a great tradition parallel tradition of theater as 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 an event as a as a theater of the marketplace running parallel with the developmental aspect of of the work um, but then I guess you could say that about any arts endeavor any arts industry whether it be visual arts or music whatever there, there's always going to be a point where you have to reconcile the business of what you do in terms of just surviving and being sustainable and maintaining some kind of a living hmm. with the impulse to be an artist in the first place and, 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 and I guess you know, young early career artists—that's that's a challenge that they face really uh, um, at some point, where they go from having to do move from doing it for the love of it mm. and for what and the pleasure that they get out of doing it to going, how can I do this for the rest of my life in a way that's sustainable? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And um, I, 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 I agree. Yeah. Yeah. And I guess going back to the 
the kind of formal education, institutional education, that's what institutions do, is they prepare you for the realities of the industry as it currently exists. Hmm. And there's a difference between the artist individual and the, the collective industry. They're not the same thing. And they, they can interact and, and very often do, but, you know, there's, you've got to, it's balance, it's a balancing act is reconciling your own individual needs um, with the collective expectations of the industry. But look at, you know, look at contemporary art, look at dance, look at it's, it's music, it's in every, it's in every, every industry. I mean, literature everywhere. You know, I mean, look at the, look at the, look at the literary world, how, you know, how ruthless and competitive that can be in the industry of just yes. writing books and producing books and the marketplace of, you know, so, that's just the the that's just the trials and tribulations of being, you know, uh, of artistic practice of wanting to make a life out of out of artistic practice. So uh, I guess since since I'm just going to dig this a little bit deeper here in terms of on a more micro level, um, being an an educator, uh, a trainer, mm. and you know a practitioner in your own right, um, mm. how do you go about? Uh, uh, how do I say this? building this? Uh, uh, how do I, building the actor from within um, and the necessary skills that are needed from within not necessarily the technical uh, physical and vocal aspects of that because I think that's uh, that's you know quite well documented already and they have really really hard techniques of doing that but I think on a personal level being an, uh, being an educator is a personal relationship right that you have with uh, with a student and somebody that is you know you're, you're taking their development under your charge um, how do you how do you do that? Um, and coming from the background that you do, well, if you're working in an institutional setting, you're following a um, a course specification that's already in place. So the the student facing uh, offer is there. Everyone knows what it is. We we will provide you with X, Y, and Z. This is these are the modules. These are the learning outcomes. This to do mm. so in you know and I've having worked in quite a number of institutions I found myself kind of being dropped into different course specifications different um, models uh, for, uh, for for acting training uh, for at degree level so offering degrees in acting uh, um, so you have to meet those uh, those uh, specifications um, and much of that, certainly in where I've been working for the last while, I'm in Barcelona now, but uh, essentially it's, it's, it's a similar model of acting training here in Barcelona uh, that's very much uh, modelled on the, on the UK Conservatoire, is rooted in uh, a, a methodology that's Stanislavski, essentially, which draws on other practitioners as well. But broadly speaking, most of the institutions I've worked in understand acting technique as some some way being traced back to Stanislavski. So, so you've got these kind of models and frameworks to work with mm. um, and you design your curriculum and you design your syllabus based on that structure. But then there's a lot of space for interpretation as well. So for example, if you're teaching you know, concentration or um, uh, work with the senses or you know, at, at the kind of basic kind of uh, first year level, um, I'm, I'm focusing on acting technique here. Obviously, there's movement and voice as well, but in, in acting technique, awareness, 
stagecraft, relaxation, all of these things, you can pull many other influences into that. Um, so, for example, you might teach work with sensory perception, for example, or um, psychophysical engagement. You might work, you might, might operate within the framework of a Stanislavskian model, but you might pull in a lot of Michael Chekhov or you might bring in aspects of neutral mask from Lecoq or you, you know, so there, every tutor had, you know, inflects their, the, the, the teaching in their own way, follow within a certain framework. Mm. Um, and I guess a bit like acting itself, every, just like every actor has a subscore or a subtext, every tutor also has a subscore or a subtext in that there's, it, the play is called Hamlet uh, so we're doing Hamlet, but of course, as an actor, my inner associations and my inner score, my 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 reason, for my, my Hamlet, is based on a whole series of associations that I am drawing on, and it's the same with teaching. So, uh, I can work within established frameworks, but I can still um, develop my own preoccupations and interests and approaches to acting within those frameworks. So, for example with a kind of a, a little model that I keep in my head as my kind of subscore, no matter where I'm teaching or what institution I'm teaching in is the whole idea of presence, play and action. Mm. And for me, all acting training falls somewhere within those three fields. And broadly speaking, even now when I'm teaching, you know, um, acting technique to first years or you know, second years or whatever, I will always, in the back of my mind, I will go, okay, we're working on concentration, attention, um, uh, relaxation, um, uh, what else? I'm just trying to think of uh, uh, awareness, these kind of things. Uh, and I'll go, okay, that's presence. Mm -hmm. I'm teaching presence. That's what I'm teaching. And then when we start to work on things like, you know, active analysis and scoring text, um, uh, working through action objectives and all of that, I'll go, okay, that's action. We're working with action. Um, and then everything to do with improvisation, relatory work, res uh, reciprocity, um, character, animal studies, all of that stuff. I'll say, that's play. That's play. Yeah. That's play. That's play. Yeah. So, that's so I that's my kind of sub score, if you like, or my kind of uh, subtext or my, my personal model that I'm oper operating from. And that's that's I don't that's not called Stanislavski. That's not called Grotowski. That's not named by any practitioner other than me. Um, that's my own aesthetic. And that's come from years and years and years of training actors in different contexts and gaining certain kind of understandings about what acting training is that I choose to kind of. For myself, just put into those those that those three domains: presence, play, and action. Mm. Um, and I guess every acting teacher does that. So you'll have acting teachers who teach teach Stanislavski, but then they might be very influenced by Lee Strasberg or Stella Adler or whatever. They might be very influenced by the American tradition. But then you'll have other t uh, uh, actor trainers who work with Stanislavski who are very influenced by the Russian European tradition. Yeah. So they'll be they, they might draw very heavily on Vakhtangov and Demidov and. Uh, uh, Meyerhold and all of those. So it's there's all kinds of um, inflections that, that can be can be brought in. Now I'm focusing. It's strange that I'm focusing on Stanislavski because, of course, <laughs> we're, we're we're looking at Western acting training. Um, but yeah, but 
and basically there are two strands within two main influences within western acting training and that's Stanislavski and Coppola mm -hmm. that's it it's the French and the Russian and you can trace for me I'm sure there are lots of people who would argue with me about this but you can trace pretty much the lineage of all western acting training either back to Coupeau or Coupeau, Coupeau I always say wrong Coupeau uh, or Stanislavski and the Coupeau strand is Michel Saint-Denis, uh, De Croo, um, Jacques Lecoq, a I guess a slightly more theatrical movement-based aesthetic or, or uh, approach to acting versus, and these are very simplistic ideas as well, it's, it's mm. uh, versus, and the, the versus what is perceived as an inside-out psychological approach to acting. And that's oversimplistic because Stanislavski wasn't, of course, only inside out and he wasn't. And he's always kind of put into that camp of being, you know, psychological based acting. And then Coppo and um, Lecoq are, are movement based acting. But that's oversimplistic. Mm, yes, um, I, I, would, I would agree with that. Yeah. But that tends to be how they're categorized. Um, so basically, most training in the Western world, in, whether it be New York or London or, you know, uh, Ireland, um, South Africa, Australia, um, uh, that, that, that's the root of those trainings. That's where it comes from. Um, and then you've got, well, you've got the East, which is a whole other thing. And then you've got a number of, you've got, but then those practitioners, the Kopos and the Stanislavskis were also drawing influence from the East. Yeah. Uh, in fact, I think, uh, do I have it, uh, here on my shelf somewhere um, there is a there's a lovely lovely book that was handed to me uh, recently published called Stanislavski and Yoga um, yeah. and you know I think I think I, show, I think I showed you the book as well where um, yeah. it basically details uh, all the influences the yogic influences that came that uh, Stanislavski drew on to develop what we now understand as a system and mm. being uh, an Asian arts practitioner that was really um, how do I say revolutionary for me because um, similarly to you know the the sort of conservatoire system right I, I mm. always attributed yeah okay the root of actor training is uh, Stanislavski mm. in a way um, and so when I was, when I was going through this just, tomb, and just to say and that, and that influence is pro and it's important to say that that influence is probably more of, exerts more of an influence on the conservatoire system than the university acting system and that's important yeah. there's a distinction there Yes. And, yeah. Anyway. Yeah. And yeah. And, yeah. And, and I'll come back to that in a moment because there's an interesting yes. conversation there too. Yeah. yeah. Sorry, yeah. I'm interrupting. interrupting. No, no, but no, but see, I think I think it's, I think it's absolutely right that there is there, oddly enough, there is this divide. Um, but also like coming from a cultural from a cultural uh, perspective of it, it just went ah okay. So if I go further back past Stanislavski, I can actually find a lot more, uh, uh roads to follow, and mm -hmm. you know um. I, I suppose, like, loosely, I come from the, the Grotowski line of training, right? Having met, you know, uh, having first sort of encountered really uh, uh, formal, you know, methodologized actor training uh, via Gapin, right? Who came out of that line as well. Like, I just followed that track. Um, mm. And I think I, was, I, I really, really am grateful um, for, for uh, uh, Gapin's sort of influence on my work simply because she, she really instilled in me a sense of questioning. Right and asking questions uh, and figuring out why figuring out what I don't know I don't know, and so while I was in the uh, Royal Central School of Speech and Drama, um, in my second year particularly, I did a nervous system and I just went, 
you know, after school, uh, opened up a laboratory, right, outside of school hours uh, and pulled in, you know, a ragtag group of people who were never, uh, who were not part of school for the most part. You know, I think it was, a, in the beginning, there was a good mix. And then, you know, it, I started getting more and more interested in uh, this more sort of open-ended research-based approach of yeah. uh, of actor training because I don't think I can I cannot pretend to be a, to be an expert on Stanislavski's system, uh, but I am an expert in what I do, you know, and I am really working uh, to find all of the little nuances that will propel this research forward. I'm fully ready to uh, disagree with with Grotowski and his research, or fully uh, prepared to to disagree with Stanislavski and his research, and I think like it's gone to the place now where I'm I've started to find this thing called the psychophysiological way of uh, approaching actor training, of, of understanding that it's not just your physical body on the outside and what we can see and consciously control, um, but also the chemical responses that run throughout your body. Uh, when you have a particular thought, what does that do um, chemically to your, to your hormones? Um, how, does you, how do your adrenal glands fire? Because they do in performance. It is a scary, scary thing to be watched by that many people at one time. Um, and how do we understand that internal mechanism um, so that it works for us instead of uh, overwhelming us, right? And in this way, like, I'm, I'm finding so much more joy in the sense that uh, when I get to meet an actor, you know, and develop a, a relationship with them over, you know, some of our members have been with us for four years, uh, to see them grow and manage uh, their thoughts, their emotions, their impulses, uh, in very conscious and very creative ways um, is by far one of the things that I never imagined I would glean from uh, a conservatoire sort of style of training or, or as you say, a, a, a cart before the horse kind of model of, of training. And that's moved the work, you know, the company's work in you know, a myriad of different directions which uh, I would never have imagined would be possible. So, and so one of the questions that I'm currently wrestling with now um, is, and I'd like to get your, your two cents on this, is what do you feel is the largest obstacle to an actor's development uh, as a person um, and also as a, as a vocational skill? I, I think someone asked me a question like this some time ago in a different way. And I'm also thinking of the obstacles that I faced when I was starting out. I think it goes back to that question of the industry. I think it goes back to that. The, uh, one of the greatest obstacles is, is, is a preconceived idea of what being an actor is based on industry models or based on, based on results or outcomes rather than process. Hmm. I think that's one of the biggest obstacles is is end gaming is is pulling yourself out of the moment or the process because you're impatient to arrive at an idea of an of a result hmm. because your models for acting are are based on what you've seen experienced actors doing but you don't realize what they had to do to get there um and certainly with students that tends to be one of the biggest obstacles is that they it's that whole thing in acting training isn't it and in acting it's about being in the moment is that inability to just 
work out of the present, to work out of the now. And, you know, my own background in uh, body-mind practices and yoga has really helped me with that. And I've, I've I, you know, I, I inflect a lot of what I do in my own teaching, uh, draw a lot of influence from body-mind practices and, and, and yoga and martial practices, because I really, really think that it is an art in itself, just getting an 18-year-old who wants to be an actor just to be in the moment. Because sometimes the ambition and the aspiration to be an actor actually is the very thing that gets in the way of you being an actor. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And it's that idea of acting as a practice, as a process and a practice rather than a profession or a a, a thing, you know. So, you you know, you know, you, if, you're, if you practice yoga, you practice Tai Chi or you practice those things, you're not thinking, you know, what can I do with this? Mm-hmm. Where, where will this get me? You're just thinking, where am I? Am I here? Am I breathing? Am I present? What? Are, how am I relating? You know, you're thinking, you're just, and really all acting training, as a, one could argue all body-mind practices, are all about pulling you into the now. Mm-hmm. And that's what great acting is. Yeah. You know, um, so I think, to answer your question, I think the obstacle is, is endgaming is um is is rushing towards a result i'm gonna jump off the back of that and because uh, i've been contemplating this question for a couple of weeks now uh in preparation for this because uh one of the things which i which i've come to as a not as a conclusion necessarily but as like sort of a something that I can pin down finally is um that the biggest danger to an actor in in, the, in an emotional sense uh, and, and a psychological sense mm. uh, is bitterness, and I think this echoes. Uh, it's it's got a bit of the echo of end gaming in there, um, where we we kind of if we look at the the nature of bitterness as an emotion, right? Mm. It is this sense that okay, there is an outcome to be derived from this thing, yeah, and that immediately makes. Uh, unavoidably visible the gap between the present moment and that end game right but what bitterness does is it hyper focuses into the gap so the actor is now living in a state of lack you know and what ends up happening is that it's not the same thing as uh, as feeling disappointed or or, or feeling a sense of uh, yearning um I think bitterness itself is very particular in the sense that it mobilizes a lot of the forces and energy that are required to act in the moment um, and move them from a place of lack closer towards this uh, preconceived outcome. You know, so all the energy that is that could be uh, used and embraced and acknowledged uh, in a moment on stage or off um, yeah. becomes, for lack of a better word, uh, perverted towards proving a point or uh, or trying to you know um, make something of themselves in that moment that is actually defined by something in in, in the psyche in the background you know mm-hmm. uh, and I, I don't know how I, I'm not sure how this works in the in the sort of like Western UK uh, locus of thinking but at least in in my country, um, in the Singaporean background where, where I come from, when you when you tell your parents, you know, I want to be an actor, right? Mm. It sets off red flags, you know. Oh, oh like, hey, what's gonna, what, what, how are you gonna eat? How are you going to, you know, make a living? Whereas, um, 
I got a big culture shock when I was in the UK um, to immediately meet like quite a few of my classmates who were, you know, have dreamed of going to drama school and whose parents are completely supportive of that and, and really wanted to move that forward. Um, and I feel like they got a lot out of the out of the training because there was that one mm. less obstacle to overcome, you know. And when bitterness is allowed to fester in an actor um, or in a human being, then what inevitably happens is an accumulation of lack. You know, it starts to delay the, the, the actor away further and further from the present moment um, of what mm. is actually happening. Um, and I think that is one of those things that is just going to cause the, the, the actor to, you know, not be able to click in as much and, and why I put so much emphasis on meditative practice, um, whether it's physical or, or, you know, really a mental investigation of the self, um, is to reduce that lag, you know, come back, come back to where we are now, today. Well, yeah, you can you can only work with what what you are and where you are now. I mean, that's the simple reality of it. Is that's all you've got is what you is where you you are at that moment. It's a question of how you channel that, and it's a question of addressing your need. Um, you'll know from working with Gay Pin and 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 also myself working with members of the work center, etc. You know, a really, really, really key question underlying all of that work is what do I need what do I need today and what I need today may not be what I needed yesterday mm. or five minutes ago what for that I, matter. or five minutes ago yeah so and it's that it's that diving into that voice and and find and you know it's that autodidactic way of 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 developing oneself as an actor it's the idea of what's necessary what do I need today what's my question today mm. um for what, for whom am I doing this? Um, and that's it. I always found that when I was younger, I always had a bit of philosophical bent when I was still do. But, um, you know, like the idea of a painter standing in front of the canvas, you know, and the subtextual question being, what is painting? Why am I painting at all? What's it for? Mm, yeah. It's kind of it's kind of normal. But in acting, that's like, you can, why would you ask that question? But of course, you, you know what I mean? It's, it's like, and I always think one of the key fundamental questions in acting training is, why am I on this stage in the first place? Why am, what, 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 is being, what is acting? Why, why do I want to be an actor? And I actually think one of the main, there's so much goes on in, 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 in training of actors that goes on kind of, um, what's the word? Uh, tacitly there's a tacit transmission of knowledge that goes on uh, outside the, the the more overt um things that you teach and one of those is that really the first year of actor training is a constant re-examine re-examining of your reason for being in that place of your reason for studying acting in the first place mm. what is what is acting what kind of acting uh, actor am i why am i here what do i want those are those are the kind of the underlying questions of of the of first years of an, uh, in, 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 in the settings that I've been working in of, a, uh, of the first year of an actor's training mm. or at least I feel they should be <clears throat> because again sorry to keep going back to conservatories and, and, and universities but just to, um, I think in acting training 
I'm not sure if this is the case with other training, but I, I suspect more so with acting training. I think young student actors come to their training with more baggage and more preconceptions about what it is the they're about their training, their training and training for than perhaps any other art form. And I think the first year is just them coming to terms with the fact that the reality of training as an actor and their idea of training as an actor are two completely different things. Mm. You know, when you said, what are we training? When you get down to the nitty gritty of, well, what we're training is presence, play, action, uh, work on oneself. Um, that's quite a shock for an 18 year old. Mm. When they realize, oh, this is about me. Not in a narcissistic way, but in an actual um, examination of my body, mind, spirit. You know, that's that. These are these are actually the questions being asked asked of me. Mm. It's not a why do I have request? Yeah, yeah. You know, oh, oh, I have to. You know, and and I remember when I was in drama school, you come up against some difficult questions. You start to see aspects of yourself that you don't like because also you're working collaboratively, so you're working group situations, so you realize, oh, I can be a bit difficult, yeah. or, oh, I have a bad habit of doing that, or, you know, and you start to see, you know, because you're working on yourself, essentially, and you're working on your instrument, you start to see the flaws. Mm. Um, you start to see the things that, you know, and that's um, that's a bit of a shock, because most <laughs> most of those students are there going, but I just want to be on in a movie, or I just want to be famous, or I just want to be... I think, or yeah, I just want to do that thing that I thought acting was. Mm. What's this got to do with it? And why do I have to move in these strange ways? And why am I doing this funny stuff with my voice? And what's that got to do with, you know, does Alpacino doesn't have to do that. I mean, honestly, I, that those are the questions that go through your mind when you're a first year actor in, in drama school, in, in, the, in that tradition. We haven't, you know, I haven't touched on, on the this Central European and the, the Eastern tradition yet, which is a whole other thing. Yeah. Whole yeah. Other thing. Because something that like really came as a shock to me was um, if we look at sort of traditional models of uh, of either training like no and kabuki for example right we want to do sort of like traditional Asian styles of, of training mm. it's a lifelong training yeah. yeah you go through it for forty years and then yeah you play a part you know so there is a there is a respect to the amount of time that is required for this process of of self examination and I think that like on a psychophysical yeah. level um you know you learn you learn the choreography you learn the breathing you learn everything and then your body starts to mm. rewire itself to be able to get there eventually right um sure. and it changes the inner state of being of the person yeah. um but i think that there is a having having said that you know when it comes down to a, this prescribed uh model for what actor training is um instead of mm. a, a process based sort of like self research Right, mm. then it becomes okay. Here's the answer. Do that as long as you can, and I think that for all intents and purposes, an 18-year-old uh, student actor is able to do that if they are if they want to make the mm. commitment um, to say, okay, yeah. I'm going to do this for 40 years, even after I graduate. I will continue um, to work this voice, to work this body in this way um, that I've learned. And I don't think yeah. that this is not to this is not to not conservatory training. I think that you, you can you can teach yeah. um, actor training in any kind of methodology and if they do it long enough they will become yeah. you know that that that, that, that actor it, it will change your your entire state of being and i'm 
really really fascinated because I, I got a chance to meet you know people like uh, like yourself and uh, who are also you know Gapin's peers from that generation and, and who have gone through the Grotowski line of, of training and the state of being of um, of the of the people who came out of that practice was neither good nor bad very distinct um, and I sort of wonder of like ah okay if you know, come back to the idea of a repertory company, you know, in contrast to your bringing it back to a conservatory training, right? That a repertory company of people um, having done that work, those kinds of shows, that aesthetic, that way of thinking, that way of collaborating, have a distinct flavor about them as human mm. beings, you know, mm. which is just like, I, I, I hope, I hope for an audience, right, to watch and go like, ah, those kinds of people exist. It's a kind of like a, it's a tribal kind of, uh, acknowledgement it's like ah oh, mm. I see you know and I think that like at least this is the word that, that, I'm, that I'm interested in is that if there is if there is a lowest common denominator um, across cultures uh, of a kind of uh, a, a kind of state a kind of presence um, that comes with being an actor being an artist that you know it's something that transcends cultural barriers when people look at somebody mm. who has that state of being they go like wow I could be like that too as well mm. like that's kind of amazing the possibility um, of what a human being can be is exemplified uh, in an actor mm. because of the nature of the beast that is performance that is theater and I think that like there is uh, having said that I hold uh, uh, an ethos that you know there is no reason in the world why an actor should not be the most well-adjusted uh, uh, human being on the face of the planet you know, no, I agree. there is such an awareness right of the self yep and there you've hit right the nail on the head that's the reason I, st I still do it that's the only reason I still do it I, I, I genuinely believe that great acting training creates great humans mm. I really do and honestly as I get older that's really what it's about for me you know I, I'm uh, you know I'm at a point certainly with for example with Living Acting Studio where I have honestly have no interest, not no interest, but my, I'm where, whether an actor gets a job on TV or film or where they go after the training is entirely up to them. Mm. Um, and I think there's a lot of pressure in formal trainings now to ensure or to offer some kind of employability, you know, the actors I train will be great. Will be will be will be great people and hopefully great actors. And it's and then whatever opportunities are available to them, I hope that they they encounter those opportunities. But honestly, I think education has, and I think it's a problem with um, higher education at the moment. This idea that it's become conflated with employability mm -hmm. is really problem. It's really really problematic. Um, really problematic because for something that's so processed based to have to kind of guarantee or ensure that someone is going to you know get an agent out of it or whatever is it's reductive. not something i was ever interested in i find it reductive in that sense it's it's yeah it's really it's a really a funny one that and it's difficult for me to to, re to reconcile myself with that but for me it's it's all about it really is about personal development and it really is about transferable skills and, you know, if you're working in a university setting, for example, you might, you know, the, the student numbers are much higher. You could be teaching anything, you know, some some acting programs in, in 
universities have anything up to 200, 250 students, which is enormous. I mean, that's a huge amount of students. Yeah. That's like 25. There's no way that they can all be actors. It's just not possible. There's no way that they can all be actors. Mm. So you have to really, you know, ask yourself, what are we training here and what are we training them for? Well, some of them may be actors and some of them may be theatre making, some of them might be directors and some of them might be writers. But if they want to go off and be nurses or, you know, massage therapists or whatever, that's great too. And they'll be, and because of the training they've had, they will be great. You know, they they will. There's, it's all of these transferable skills, um, empathy, compassion, body mind integration, um, the whole idea of working oneself. You know, deconditioning, concentration of attention, confidence, mm -hmm. observation. All of these things. These are great skills to have in anything you do. Yeah. And and you know, and acting training can can really provide that. Um, and I think. You know, for those parents that wonder worry about their children, you know, training as actors, they they, they should never they shouldn't worry. Acting training is a great thing for a person. Um, you know, yeah, the, the you know the employed problems with gaining employment and ninety percent of actors being out of work. That yeah, that I can understand parents being concerned mm -hmm. about. But as a, as an edu as an educator, that's not something. That's not a question I can answer. You know, that's not something that I personally feel it's my job to take responsibility for that's a personal choice i mean you know there's if you've been venturing into any artistic practice has within it profound insecurity and profound danger and profound risk you know life is risky there's no security in anything really and any you know um uh that's that's a life choice you know what i mean you can't you can't stop something with someone wanting to express and develop themselves um I think these what are considered to be soft skills, I think is the term they use nowadays, are really, really important skills. You know, they're really important life skills. And yeah, I, you know, I understand parents' dilemmas and all the rest. And, but there's one of my students has actually has, in, in fact, uh, I tr she trained with me in Falmouth and now she's gone off to be a nurse. And I know that she's just going to be a, an amazing nurse because of the training she's had mm -hmm. as an actor. And I really like that. I, I I just love that idea. So for me, it's it's uh, when I'm when I'm when I'm teaching, say in those settings, I'm very conscious of the fact that I'm not just preparing people for the acting industry. I'm preparing people for life. Yeah. yeah. Um, and I think acting training offers a very full and very complete toolbox for just dealing with life. Yeah, I think this is uh, when I was a bit when I was a bit younger. Um, I was listening to a TED talk by uh, the late Sir Ken Robinson, uh, and talking about mm. what what issues we face in education, um, mm. and I think now more so than ever, it's really sort of echoing with me that like the the education system doesn't really prepare us with the life skills that we need um, mm. to be able to you know like tolerate the next 50 years of life um how do we deal with disappointment how do we deal with difficult people how do we deal with anger with rage with you know, depression um yeah. or existential dread for that matter which is very common for any actor um yeah. at this point no matter of what age um and those things are you know by far the most essential skills that i think are required to be able to navigate the three-dimensional world um mm -hmm. in in sort of 
the interest of opening up a, 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 a can of worms here, I think that when it comes down to wanting to train um, mm. as an actor, I think that I would I would urge uh, s- not students in the standardized definition, um, but people who want to chase this path down to mm. rephrase the question as what kind of human being do you want to be? Mm. You know, um, I don't think that any uh, any actor training is bad uh, by any means. No, right? not at all. They it really is about shaping yourself as a human being and having different entry points, whether psychophysically or, you know, psychologically mm-hmm. to, as you said, examine the self, look at your motivations yep. and find out why yep. you want to do this. You know, why are you in a nursing And, you know, and also remember that, you know, you can do that through music, you can do that through dance, you can do it through writing. There's lots of ways to express yourself. Why do you want to do it as an actor? Well, acting is interesting because it is quite full in the sense that it's body voice and mind imagination you know it's mm. it's it's a it's a fully embodied artistic practice which is which makes it one of the most difficult that's the other thing the, the other thing is that the thing about good acting is it looks so bloody easy <laughs> you know when it's when it's done well it looks so easy but then when you and that's the other shock that these first year students realize is that that thing that looks so easy to you takes a huge amount of work to do well um uh so yeah so it's a it's for that reason that it's you know i think i think any kind of art training is great for any human being but acting in particular because it uses the body because it uses the voice because it, it uses the mind and, and, and emotions and all of that i think because it's so integrated and so full um and let's let's face it theater itself is a metaphor for life i mean that's you know it's so and Exactly, and the idea of performance and theatre as a way of, of traditionally of being a, a human being's way of confronting what it is to be human in in a li- in in real time and space is an extraordinary tradition to be a part of. Mm. Um, this idea of self-examination. You know, if you go back to the Greeks or you go back to whatever, or go back to, you know, the idea that we go to the theatre as a civic act to look at how we are. It's, it's, it's mind-blowing, really, when you think about it. Yeah. It's, an, it's, you know, so of course you're going to need some serious training to be able to be a part of that. <laughs> you know, Um and that's you know, and that's what you know. Grotowski, you know, took that to its end. Mm. Took the idea of a, of a work in oneself, Stanislavski's idea of a work in oneself, and he took it to its absolute. He said, oh, "Okay, well, let's do that then. Let's 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 do self penetration. Let's do self actualization, self realization." Very influenced by yoga as well, Grotowski. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, and essentially pursued acting craft as a work on oneself as a form of yoga i mean one could argue i'm sure there's people who debate with me crazily on this but essentially one could argue that grotowski's whole pursuit was to create acting it was to was to create a form of acting or theater that was a yoga was Mm. it you know like a theatrical yoga and that idea is you know wasn't his that came from india that came from katakali that came from kalari paitu 
look at look at the work of Philip Cirilli, this idea of embodied practice of a work in oneself being a shared experience with audiences mm. is a very old tradition, very, very old tradition. This idea of something deeply, deeply intimate being also public, you know, in the is shaman, it, shamanistic tradition. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So, and this, you know, that goes back to the, the roots of theatre itself. Um, so, you know, you know, acting training does raise big questions. It does raise important questions. Mm. And because you are the instrument, and this is what differentiates it from painting or music or whatever, you are the instrument. You can't put that violin back in the case and put it under your bed. You are that instrument. You're carrying it around with you every day. You know, that's that's an extraordinary thing. Mm-hmm. That's an extraordinary thing. That like, you know, you are the you are the raw material. Yeah, I think this idea that um, you know, as a musician, you make a piece of music, right? Mm. You put it out there, and right now you you record it, you master it, and then you know mm. you 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 learn it and you play it live, whatever, right? Mm. So that is, and. Uh, 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 in a sense, the externalization of the thing, right? Yeah. But when it comes to to acting, I I think of it this way that you know what the actor is creating is a state of being within mm. themselves. It's housed within themselves in the physical body in a particular time and space where you know you you start at this time and then you end at this time and everything is prescribed there, mm. right? But that's all that's all well and done, um, and I think being able to have the what is it called discernment. Right mm. to to experience that firsthand for two hours, three hours, sometimes you know four, mm. um, and to then sort of step out of that and look at that and go, huh, I'm so glad I'm really not that, <laughs> you know, in my everyday life. That is not the person that I want to be, but I'm glad to have the experience of that state of mind, that state of being. Um, is just another step towards self knowing and self reflection, you know. Mm. where would that yeah. impulse come from you know because then it paints a picture of the inner life for the actor as like ah okay that is uh, something that I have access to now um, and I think that you know we we kind of often are quite trapped in our our own personalities um, yeah. in everyday life that we sometimes forget about the wide gamut of infinite expression that we have within the body it, irrespective of form Right, I'm talking about the internal experience of being a human being that like, oh, I never knew I could tap into that amount of, of sadness or rage or joy or ecstasy. Um, mm-hmm. But that was always there, right? Is the environment that shapes us um, in a way that sort of maybe blocks that out or puts it aside or, you know, leaves it in a corner that we can't really touch. And it takes actor training as the practice of walking to that room, looking at that box, popping it open and going like, huh, this is there, I've never had this before, let's play with this, you know, mm. and then going around and experiencing that thing. Mm. So infinite knowledge of the self and by extension, understanding of, you know, somebody, you know, see somebody who, who has that and be able to access empathy for that person because you have it in you, mm. you know, you know. Yeah. It's, it's, it's so compassionate. And that is, uh, I think, ultimately, that is an elevating process. And uh, one thing I really, really, really believe, and the more I do this and the more I, I think about acting and what acting is and training actors, the one thing I'm absolutely becoming more and more certain of is that all acting, regardless of the subject matter, regardless of the material, 
all acting is fundamentally a, a joyful act. It is an act of joy. If, you, if you're playing Lady Macbeth, if you're playing a serial killer, if you're playing the act of acting itself is joyful. Mm. That's really, really important. I think it's really important. That spirit of play that we see in children. Look at the way children have the most extraordinary capacity to transform themselves and go to the darkest of places and be completely untouched by it. Mm. They can walk away and it's nothing. That it's it's like you're a conduit. It's like you're just it's just stuff passing through you. And that's that's why the whole question of emotion in acting and emotion on stage is a really interesting one. Because I don't believe the emotions we experience as actors are if you know if they're if 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 they're approached properly, I think the emotion, whether that passes through as an act as an actor, is not is not damaging. It doesn't damage you. It, it it expands you. It 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 it, it elevates you. Mm-hmm. Um, and I always think that one, an actor should walk off stage, very calm. This idea of you know being walking off stage, being all adrenalized and going to the the the, 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 the <laughs> pub to you know to to you know to drink Drop. yourself into a. That, I, that way of working, I always had a problem with that way of working. I always had that, that culture of acting really always I found problematic <laughs> because it was so escapist? Oh, it was just based, escapist and based on adrenaline and based on narcissism. It was really problematic for me. I, I really think the way you should walk, the way you should walk off stage is that it's that very calm, satisfied feeling of a job well done like making a beautiful cabinet or playing a beautiful piece of music. That's it. That's the gratification. The The reward is that. I think the, you know. the aesthetics and the, and the form of the theatre in itself can absolutely aid that. Um, uh, first thing that I removed in all of my work was curtain calls. <laughs> mm. You know, and it takes... And the, the reason for that being that, like, you know, if you see an actor go through an experience um, that is uh, harrowing and intense um, for a particular period of time, you know, to immediately move from that into being able to speak to an audience member uh, in, you know, with this calm, with a, with a peace and having seen that like, oh, okay, this, this actor is now just as present with me as he was present in the moment half an hour ago. Mm-hmm. Um, is an exemplification to the audience member that like ah, oh, you know it is possible for the human being to do this, um, and I also I, I echo your statement um, that this this uh, sense of calm is I think to be to be worked for, um, to be uh, searched for and to be attained, um, and when it is not attained, then I think it becomes damaging. I think that the the there is there is pain to be found. Uh, in you know the moment of the scene or uh, of the play, right? But the pain itself in that moment, or or or, or the rage, or the anger, or the sorrow, or whatever, in that moment is not the issue, because the the emotion will fleet. Bye bye, gone, right? Uh, it is the prolonged suffering of that moment <laughs> from that scene for whatever reason, um, and it could be like you know. Oh, I really didn't hit my light at that time, or like I feel really uncomfortable with this thing. I would argue that the that your 
you know, to the to the actor who 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 feels that, I I would say that like maybe you know, you are creating that on your own, you know, the that that line of text is gone, it's finished, mm. so move mm. on to the next one and the next one, and then when you finish the play, when you hit that last line in the text, then it's really gone, and the ability to heal yourself from that mm. experience, just means that. For every one of those shows over the course of this next sixty show run, just becomes easier to do. Which means that in life, that happens. You have the necessary neural pathway to be able to overcome that. You know, and I don't. I don't see why. Um, and I think you know. I, I. I. I would. I would love to apply this um, across the board into my own life and my company members' lives as well, um, where this. This ability to heal yourself is almost second nature. Yeah, I think it's about hygienic ways of working. I mean, when I say that coming off stage and going to the bar and all the rest, don't get me wrong. I saw amazing performances, mm. amazing. Some of the best acting I ever saw was by actors who went off stage and did that. You know, who were alcoholics. So it's not to say that you can't. For me, it's just about sustainability. I'm at a stage now where, you know, uh, and I got to a stage when, in, in, you know, as an actor, as I got older myself, where I, I wanted this, acting was a way of living for me. It wasn't just about, you know, getting a result and satisfying an audience and that's it. I was like, you know, for me, a very, very important part of acting for me was that acting was a form of well-being, that it was something that was good for me. Um. So yeah, so I think it it is it, that that for me is is very important is is looking because it is quite it can be the you know if you're performing on stage and you know dealing with audiences and operating you know in in the marketplace can be quite grueling and quite tough going, and I think just like athletes or like any other um, profession or you know when you use your body, I think you have to take care of yourself mm-hmm. and. Yeah, and my aspiration is is certainly now is if I ever you know if I ever perform again is that I want to walk off stage calm. Um, yeah, that feeling of that something has been expressed, that art has been a vehicle for me to express and experience the flow of life itself. And that that ultimately is a joyful act, and that that's something that I should walk off stage feeling good about, not feeling bad about, or feeling you know like I've tortured myself. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that's 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 really important. That's always in the back of my mind when I'm. It, it's it's very important thing for me when I'm when I'm teaching and as well is that actors are working in that way, that they don't rely on adrenaline. Um, you know, and I think. Um, I think I think that's absolutely possible, and I think great. I think there are many great actors that can do that. You get a bit more on film, actually. Um, I find screen acting, yeah, because you have to be so relaxed on camera. Mm. Um, depending on what acting tradition you're coming from, if you're a very immersive method kind of performer, then perhaps that can be problematic. But, um, but yeah, the idea of just being in the moment. Because as you said, once the moment's gone, it's gone. It's gone. Mm. And any 
comment on the past is just pulling you out of the the new present. Yeah, yeah, um, the new now, and that's all. That's all theater is. It's just nowness, collective shared nowness. You know, um, and the, the, the what you're saying about the curtain call is interesting because it, it, it's it's always very fashionable when one thinks one's doing something avant garde to to not have a curtain call. You know, we used to do the nervous system as well. Yeah. We thought we were really, we thought we were really cool not having a curtain call. But nowadays, I'm just like, no, curtain calls are actually really important because theatre is art. Theatre is, is artifice. Theatre is a contract between the actor and audience where we we agree that suspension of disbelief will will occur for over the period of an hour and a half or two hours or whatever. And I think that coming out at the end and saying thanks for coming on that journey with us, I think is really important. I think that's what a curtain call is about. Actually, mm. it's about reminding us that we're in a theatre. And that we, that our collective imagination made this event happen. But that you know, we're actors. We're good. We're cool. You're cool. All's well. Yeah, I think this is also you know? come down. I mean, it comes down to sort of like an aesthetic choice. Um, yeah, yeah, absolutely. There's a difference in function, right? Yeah, no, totally. And you can, and you can. You, I mean, Grotowski used to do it. I mean, you know, he never had curtain calls. But um, I've seen some interesting curtain calls and lots of the interesting kind of um, experimental companies have their own little ways of dealing with curtain calls. And some of the, you know, um, of course, the a- with the Asian traditions, they're, they're absolutely marvelous at it. But that's because they know how to bow. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. You know, like Western Western actors just look like idiots when they bow because we don't have a bowing tradition. We don't have proper spines. We don't know how to bow. Our bodies aren't able for it. No so we, you know, <laughs> do you know what I mean? Yeah, I know. I, 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 I mean, see, I mean, I'm just saying that, like, if um, <laughs> the 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 aesthetic of the bow, the aesthetic of you know whether you all line up in a row, I think it's, for me is very arbitrary. It's uh, it comes down to the question of like you know as a as a as the the metaphor of the curtain call, like what is it, right? Is mm. It's yeah. I think the the the. It's acknowledging. It's agno- acknowledging the event. It's acknowledging the artist. Yes, yes. And I think like I so I have to sorry to preface this by saying that like, when I say I don't do a curtain call, doesn't mean I don't have a there. There isn't another mode for which to acknowledge that this was uh this this was a theatrical event. That this was, you know, mm. artifice. Uh, mm. I, it's more it's more of a remodeling of the way that is, and I just much prefer to to you know do a quote-unquote curtain call as you know okay actors go and talk to the audience and then you know they start mm. to understand that it is the oh i see what you mean so you no, but that's a great thing you know but if they talk to the audience that's great and you know in the globe theater and um the, you know they obviously they, they follow kind of the traditional is elizabethan mode of performance mm. all the actors come out and they do a dance at the end that's fantastic yeah <laughs> you know as themselves yeah. yeah, and they just do a, a bit of a show, you know, and that's great. So there's lots of, you can be very creative with things like curtain calls, you know, you can do really cool stuff. And, and it's really just remembering what the curtain call is about. What are you trying to communicate? Again, it always goes back to what do I want? What do we, what, you know, what is this? What is a curtain call? What's its function? Mm. What, do, what do we want to say to the audience in this moment? Yeah, it's a celebration of the fact that we've all gone on this journey for two hours. I love the idea of that, and and I do like performances where I go in and I meet the actors before and then after the show, like you know where they're part of the you know where they're ushering you into your seats and then they yeah. usher you out. I really like that. I love when that. Yes. I really like the fact that the, the mystique around acting is taken away, where it's like, listen, I'm the guy that put you in your seat, and now I'm the guy playing my best. Yeah, you know, yeah. I really like that because you see the. Um, 
change. Yeah, yes. you just well, you, yeah, yeah. Um, whereas this idea of you know the wings and the curtain, you know, the, the 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 mystique of what's going on behind stage and all that kind of stuff, which can be very appealing and very magical too. But sometimes I think that creates uh, a bit of an us and them type. Um, yeah, it's a little yeah. bit like you know, um, it's a bit like the chef coming out to the. the oh yes, the, when you give compliments to the, the chef the, and then he comes out. Yeah, yeah, or you go, they go out and you just talk to your clients as you're enjoying your meal. You know, it's that thing, isn't it? I mean, and I love. I, I think there's so many lovely kind of parallels between the restaurant business and the, and, and theater. You know, the behind the scenes, <laughs> front of house and backstage. I I always loved that. I always think of it as like a restaurant. <laughs> yeah, I think because it's so it's so um it's it's so it's self it's self awareness. Right? The the yeah, the yeah. this the sense of like now it's very sort of in thing, right? Like breaking the fourth wall, you know, yeah. looking to the camera. Yeah. Hi, yeah. I know you're watching us right now. Yeah. Uh yeah, you yeah, know, yeah. even on a recording I can see you. Um yeah. you know, it's very in thing now and but actually that creates a sense of, of, of intimacy and, and connection and then I think that's really what um, ties an audience into the company and saying like, oh, you know, I'm acknowledged. And, as and who and who who gave us that, Ethan? Oh my God, Mr. Bert- Mr. Bertolt Brecht. <laughs> oh my gosh, that's where it started. Yes, that's where it started. Yes, he gave us that. He was the first. He was the first one to go. Why are we pretending? We're, why are we trying to pretend we're not in a theater? Mm-hmm. We're in a fucking theater. Why are we pretending? You know this. And he was this whole idea of similitude. And naturalism and all, and this idea, and the, and the preposterous notion that you would pretend that you're not in a theater. Was... Well, then there's also, I mean, there's also the argument to be made of, you know, that like Shakespeare introduced that with things like, you know, having the portal well, in my bathroom. Ah, and to say, like, you know, no, of course. Doing no, no, you're absolutely right. right. But the thing about Shakespeare, Ethan, the thing about Shakespeare is he did it all first. Shakespeare <laughs> did everything first. Every movement, genre, style in theater that you can think of. Shakespeare did it first. Well, Peter okay. Gibson, okay. Breaking the fourth wall, everything. <laughs> you know, postmodernism. He did, it's all there. It's all in Shakespeare. So then I would then, so now we're just like, so counter argue that, like, uh, could we then argue that even, you know, Katakali did that first as well? Do you know what I mean? I love the so, ritual and Katakali of them putting on the makeup before the other. Uh huh. Um, uh-huh. um, yeah, well, I guess, yeah. But I'm not saying Shakespeare invented it. I'm just, I'm just saying those things. <laughs> were occurring a long time before formal theater training ever yes yeah and i think that the the whole the whole point is ultimately it kind of quote-unquote doesn't matter um it's a it's always a question of is it a conscious act are you doing are you breaking that fourth wall consciously to communicate something or are you doing it because you're told that okay this scene is a monologue for you uh please go on to be or not to be um you know but then to actually ask the question is well, that is the question, right? Yeah. And I think like it comes back again to you know everything that we've been talking about that nowness, that present moment of like, can you mm-hmm. really ask this question to people? Fourth wall, regardless of the fourth wall, whatever, how many walls you want to have, mm-hmm. doesn't matter, mm-hmm. right? And then by doing that, by throwing that question out into the space, you are communicating that I am asking you this, but I am also asking myself this. Yes. As no, the soliloquy, um, a direct audience address is very powerful. The whole idea of the meta theatrical, isn't it? It's it, it's mm-hmm. theater that acknowledges itself, that that acknowledges its own. Elizabethan theater is incredibly powerful. You know, when you look at the, if you take the globe as a model, and the idea that it's outdoor, 
So when 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 Hamlet says, "Look at you, look at you, this cannot be the air," he's actually pointing at the sky. Yeah. And and the queen is up in the top tier, and then the, the groundlings are on the bottom, and the whole strata of society are there. So the idea of the globe theater being a metaphor for life itself, the globe. Yes. The the whole strata strata of society is such a powerful. That's such a powerful metaphor. You know, what you can do with that. Can you imagine the feeling as an actor standing on a stage where the given circumstances are not just fictional, but actual? Yes. That's such a, that to me, and as a young actor, that was, I was, oh, I always gravitated more towards that than I did Chekhov or Stanislavski in terms mm. of natural psychological realism. I was always much more interested in theatre, theatre that, on theatricalism. A theatre that was aware of itself, that was using the nowness, not just inside a fiction, but was actually acknowledging the event itself. Yes, and pulling the uh, audience into that and going, yeah. guys, look, look yeah. you. Right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Be and I think and now more so than ever, that is necessary. You know, yeah. I would argue. Um, that we that we live in a world which is constantly obsessed with uh, with the past and the future. Um, yeah. How am I going to survive? This happened before. I'm scared that it happens again. Um, you know, we require um, and need that moment of look you uh, and see this. Yeah. Look, look here we are now in a theater. Mm -hmm. I built this. You know, just that that that's that simple civic that simple civic. Just that, that that simple acknowledgement of the live civic event. Oh, look what we're all doing together. And to be able to switch from that into to move in and out of fiction, fiction, reality, fiction, reality. Oh, look, you believe that I was Hamlet there for a second. Did I do that or did you do that? I see that the complicity of theatre is, is, is extraordinary. Extraordinary. You know, and the fun you can have with that. And the... the the, you can say things in a theatre that you just can't say anywhere else because of that. You can't say that anywhere else. I mean, you know, for me, music is the highest of all the art forms, and theatre is usually the, actually the, considered to be traditionally the, the slowest in terms of evolution. Mm -hmm. But the potential of theatre, in terms of what theatre can do, is, is extraordinary. And I'm just talking about traditional live performance. I'm not even talking about, you know, multimedia. Yeah. I'm just talking about just old-fashioned live theatre, you know. Mm -hmm. um, and of course, obviously, in the current times and whatever, that's uh, we're. All, I think we're all getting a bit nostalgic for that, you know. Yeah, um, aren't we? Mm, mm. But I think that is a good sort of like wind up for um, the the desire to be in a live space with yeah. you know that many people. Um, and I mm. really, really echo what you're talking about in terms of the potential for that because the the theater mm. is. Um, as infinite as the parts that make it up, you know, from sure. everything, sure. you know, not just the yeah. actors. Yeah. I think we're going to see, I think we, I, I, there's been a lot of talk about this. I've been involved in a number of different conferences and stuff like that, discussing this very subject, you know, what theatre will emerge out of the pandemic. And I, you know, I'm really starting to incline towards the belief that we might have another renaissance. I think we might reevaluate and rediscover fundaments of theatre again because theatre has become very noisy in terms of you know we've thrown a lot of stuff at theatre and a lot of great stuff has happened in the post postmodern movement and all the rest and great things have come out of that and interdisciplinary work but I, I wonder 
is the absence of that live experience is will that bring us back to a re-examination and a real a real celebration of what can be achieved with so little mm-hmm. you know will it will i will a new kind of poor theater emerge will a new kind of um a theater that goes back to its roots i don't know and, I'm, and this question has been asked since i started working in theater i mean everyone asked this question the, theater is dying will it ever come back you know it's always been a every theater is from the 30 years i've been working in the theater it's always been dying that's yeah. all every people it's been dying for thousands of years yeah so let's just let's just deal with the fact okay we're dying great let's just we're dying theater's dying okay so let's celebrate the dying theater but um but you know it's it's nice to it's nice to dream into it, isn't it? It's nice to just to remind ourselves of what can be achieved. Shakespeare is great for that, you know. I always mm. think the Elizabethan stage for me is really is, is always incredibly evocative in terms of what's possible. You can you can walk on stage, hold a banana, and say it's a gun, and the audience will say, "Yeah, cool, that's a gun." You know, <laughs> you just say you just say it, and it, and, and and everyone goes with it. Um, so that's exciting. So I I would love to I would love to think. That perhaps when we all when we do get back into into shared um, live, uh, the word that's been used, um, assembly, mm-hmm. that we will start to um, rather than that we we will start it'll re re-energize the the what what's essential in theater back to back to back to the back to the basics. Mm-hmm. That could, that would be nice, wouldn't it? And then you know, and then you can you know, then we've all that technology that we can pull in whenever we want as well. But that that you know that's that's an enhancement rather than a yeah, rather than the point in and of itself. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. But yeah, God, I'm getting all uh, excited now. <laughs> so I'm, really, I'm really, but I'm really starting to miss it now because you know I'm I'm actually really um, I'm realizing God, I really do miss that. Because uh, a lot of people have been talking about it during the pandemic, and I've been kind of going, eh, I don't miss it that much. Because you know, a lot of the time, I find theatre quite hard going. I find it a bit boring, and I find it a bit stuffy and up itself, mm-hmm. and very bourgeois. And I don't, I don't enjoy the experience a lot of the time of going to the theatre. Not always, but a lot of the time. So when people say, "Oh, the arts, the the theatre," I always get, I don't like, I, I have problems with the definite article used in front of arts or theatre. You know, the theatre, the arts, and yeah. we're artists, and there's something entitled about that that get uncomfortable with but um yeah and i think you know and i think i, I think of stuffy kind of um theater foyers full of you know middle class people I, you know i i i was something i was never comfortable with as a young midland boy midlands mm-hmm. of ireland who would never been to the theater till i was you know 18 19 so being in theaters as an audience is not something i'm i was ever that comfortable with but um yeah. uh so yeah um but yeah, but now I'm starting to think, God, you know, I do miss the theatre. I do miss, you know. But, uh, no, like, but there's I'm, something I'm weird. guilty of being visibly, like, upset during shows and visibly uncomfortable um, with what is going on. Because, like, I think, yeah, same, like, I also felt that um, that live theatre was really, really hard uh, to, to go to um, all throughout my life. Um, because my first experience of anything even remotely theatrical was, uh, you know, when I was living um, uh, in Singapore and I was about six years old. And, you know, we used to have sort of like a, what we call Gertai shows, right, which is which literally yeah. translated to song stage, right? Um, yeah. And you were just 
go down and my, and my dad would bring me down on the way to, to, to get some dinner for, for the family and like we would just see you know round tables of like of everybody from the community who lived around the area um, just sitting there and watching the show or, or listening to it or you know just having their dinner conversation while that was going on and I felt like everyone had the right to do that and I and I often felt like particularly in places like not, not to knock it I love, I love the space but like if I would go to the Barbican and I would sit and I felt like I was I was prescribed a role um, to mm. watch as opposed to um, sort of being enticed and being drawn to to watch that. And I remember watching a show at the Barbican where I sat uh, all the way at the back row next to the tech desk. Um, and I was watching the show and I think this was a, this was a, a Katie Mitchell show so it was incredibly like technically complicated um, but I, I thoroughly enjoyed sitting at the tech desk and I would just like glance over and I would look over at the monitors for how many cameras were operating at one time um, and being able to sort of like peek behind the curtain and watch what was actually happening was much more uh, in intriguing for me as, a, as an audience member because I had to force myself to acknowledge the artifice of the thing yeah, you know, as back it was going Brecht. on, right? Back to Brecht again, right? and that's exactly what Brecht did. Yes. He did the same thing. Um, no, absolutely. I, I think you're right there. I think I think a lot of theater makers and theater practitioners, if they really, if you really press them on it, will admit that they much more enjoy making theater than going to the theater. Uh huh. You know, guilty as charged. <laughs> yeah. I completely lost my. I lost. I lost my love of acting. You know. In drama school, uh, coincidentally, uh, I, uh, ironically, I lost. I, you know, I felt I felt no need to be on stage. Uh, That's a bit of a problem. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it is. And a lot of it had to do with just being overwhelmed with um with existential dread, and I think like also being a young twenty something at that time, and like same thing for you. Like like as you were saying, like I I was shocked by the amount of by the by the disillusionment that, that hit me, and also on top of that, you know, there was a lot of institutional issues. Um, you know, institutionalized yeah. racism was a thing, right? Like issues with curriculum yeah. and all that kind of thing. And I'm I'm a disruptor by yeah. nature, right? So, like, but being able to um, sort of step away from that um, and watch uh, other people, you know, in in this case particularly, uh, my very very generous company members, uh, be able to take um, the the practice that we have created together. Um, and put themselves on stage uh, and especially in the work that we do go to quite like deep personal places in public um, yeah. you know has reinvigorated my love for at least the theatre that these guys make um, and I find myself just as much of a fan um, of this of the, com the company I, and, I, and I say this separate from my status as artistic director but in terms of the creative work that these people make in a room and to be to be uh, uh, um, uh, privy to that in the room is a gift you know and, and I always always love when uh, audience members come and, and watch our open rehearsals um, and sometimes create with them um, I always remember this amazing uh, a couple of audience members who came to our art space in Taiwan and um, my partner was working on her solo show uh, or a version of her solo show at that point in time and we had come up with this crazy idea where we would um use a, a fishing line to tie tiny wooden beads together and hang them from the ceiling. We were building a grid um, across the space. And these two uh, audience members had come, they were just, they were just visiting um, us because they, they were friends of ours, uh, of, the, of the team that lives there. And they were spending the night and just chatting. And 
you know, we were there in the space threading these <laughs> beads into these fishing line and tying them together. And these and these order members stayed and helped us do that uh, for the better part of three hours. Um, mm. You know, and I I sort of like at one moment I had this more this really really strong dissociation where I stood at the corner of the room and I went, holy shit. You know, they are just as much a part of the company as anybody that would be on stage. That's cool. Um, as Co creators. It's, it's, it's just so lovely and so generous of these of uh, of these people to have been able to do that. Um, and I really miss that. I really, really do. That's the thing that I miss about the theatre. That's a sense of community though, isn't it? That's really to do with community. Um, that's, enough, that's, that's another whole conversation, isn't it? You know, theatre as a, as a communal gathering, you know, if it's and even something as simple as putting beads on a string. Mm-hmm. In a, you know, in a, as a kind of a, um, an activity that gives us an excuse to gather, and be with each other is a wonderful thing. Good enough, you know. Yeah. Don't need them to pay forty dollars to watch a show. Right. Yes. More than. Yeah. But is that? But is that theater? No. Ah! Yeah. <laughs> I'm falling off my yoga ball. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. Shoot back. Is Why isn't it? You know, does theater only happen during the performance itself? Um, you know, what about all the times in between? I always measured this. It was just like, you know, you have these guys, who, you know, 10 people, five people who spend, you know, three months together rehearsing a show and they're there four hours a day, um, five days a week. You know, if you, if you add that up, right? You have like four, you know, four times five, 20 hours, 20 hours, four, 80 hours, 80 hours across, you know, 12 weeks, you know, 96 96 hours of time and then you know an audience comes and then you give it to them for an hour you give it to them for two hours and you have to ask them to pay you $40 mm. it's like the, 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 the value differential it has always been astounding to me and you know the fact that these uh, over the course of these three months the amount of growth that um, can come out of that uh, as a human being I'm sorry but you can't put a price on that you know um, and I think like uh, it's it's always been sort of like a bit of a, a bit of a race of like uh, for me in terms of like how do you impart that amount of value um, if you know your mum came to watch the show uh, after three months right is she able to sort of like look at you as a as a son or as a daughter and go my god you've changed like you've grown and and you're and you're thinking of things in this way and you know I think that's that, that's what my father had when he when when he watched um, me in one of my shows. Um, way back when I was still an actor, you know, 19 years old, you know, and I'll, I'll never forget that, that moment um, of, of just having, having, um, being, seeing somebody has, who has known me my whole life, um, notice that, ah, oh, okay, as a human being, you are, you are changing and, and evolving, you know, that's, that's, just, that's just, to me, that's theatre, you know, the act of evolution. Yeah. yeah. Theatre is the act of evolution. Collective, I guess. Shared. Yes. Yes. On stage, off, next to it, I don't care. Mm. Mm. Yeah. Cool. Yes. So well, my man. Yes. I, but sorry, you're, you're the boss. I'm not trying to wind things up here. Oh, no, 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 no. I, no, I was just about to as well. Um, on that note, um, like, if you, I mean, I'd love to have you back on again. Uh, at some point, we can continue having uh, conversations about this uh, and many, many more topics. Um, I love chatting with you. Um, thank you very, very much oh, for giving okay. us your time. 
Um, no, my pleasure, my pleasure. <laughs> no, it was, it was lovely. It's lovely, lovely to lovely to have these conversations. Yes, absolutely. Uh, it's my it's, it's my pleasure. Thank you very very much. Um, no, and, I, I thank you, Ethan, and and listen, and I wish every, you all very well with Five to Midnight and all the work you're doing. You know you know really really drink it up and just to you know get 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 everything out of it that you can because it's a it's a wonderful thing uh, any 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 opportunity to you know to work with like minds in that way is a great thing and likewise with living acting studio like i know it's a great it's a it's a new start and new venture for you and i wish mm -hmm. you all the very best um please Thank check you. them out at livingactingstudio.com um there's wonderful work all of uh, everything that Aiden has been talking about in terms of play, presence, and action uh, is all there, very, very um, uh, eloquently put uh, and digestible. And you know, Aiden has been an absolute pleasure uh, having you on the show. So thank you very, very much for giving uh, us this time. <laughs> no problem, Aiden. No problem. It's been a pleasure. Yes. So, um, I, do I? Is this where I? I know we're like in a webinar, and apparently the world <laughs> is watching. But do I just click leave, or uh, I will? I will. I will wrap it up formally. Um, so thank you very much. Uh, the Convergence will be back uh, in a couple of weeks and we will announce uh, our next guest uh, very, very soon. So we hope to see you there again. Uh, thank you very, very much for tuning in uh, and we hope to see you in a couple of weeks. Thank you very much. Goodbye. Thank you. Bye-bye. <laughs> oh, gosh. And... You've got a cool camera thing going on there, man. What's that? You've got like...